Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. So I have just interviewed the lovely Scott Davis, who is the CEO and founder of the Nightingale app. And they match healthcare professionals with their perfect shifts. They believe in using technology for good. And most importantly to them, they are not an agency. So we talk about the negative connotation with the word agency and manager, which is really interesting. Scott shares his leadership and career journey from being on a graduate scheme at HSBC to setting up an agency selling his share in an agency and then moving into a joint venture with Tripad. We also talk about his leadership style under stress. We talk about how do we know that we're building a sustainable organisation? And we also talk about like the sales conversation. How does Nightingale win new clients and what language are they using? This is a business of healthcare masterclass. Loved it. I really, really did. It's it's so easy to talk to Scott and it'll be a nice, easy, informative listen. Enjoy. If you like what you hear, I would love it if you gave us a five-star rating review on iTunes. And podcast hosts ask for the rating because the more reviews you get, the higher up in the charts the podcast rises and then the more people will see it and the more people will listen. So that's why we ask for that. So much work goes into this podcast. I absolutely love it. We have amazing, amazing, amazing guests and I want as many people to hear it and enjoy it and learn from it as possible. So with that being said, enjoy and I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. It's my pleasure. So it would be great if you could introduce our listeners to your history and what has led you to Nightingale. Okay, so my checkered past is, uh, <laughs> is about to be revealed. Okay, so I started my working career actually at HSBC in business intelligence. So I was a developer an analyst, and latterly uh, a program director within BI. So we were working with big data uh, and identifying trends for business back in, this is back in the early 2000s up till 2007. And I've always been really interested in that. 2007, however, I started a healthcare agency. 
at Hallam Medical. So I was founder and CEO at Hallam Medical from 2007 to 2017. Uh, and that was really interesting. We set that business up. We weren't, we didn't know we were an agency. It's not what we set out to be. Our, our aim was uh, to work within primary care with advanced nurse practitioners and to try and fill the gap uh, in the GP workforce. Uh, and, and that was how it started. And, and my co-founder there and my very good friend from university happened to be an ANP and he was newly qualified and, you know, we kind of identified that gap uh, and we went from there. I exited that business 2017, uh, had six months off, and then I met a fantastic technology company here in Sheffield, the team at TribePad, and we created uh, Nightingale, which is a joint venture. The premise uh, of the business when it was created was to connect healthcare professionals with service uh, providers for shifts and to disrupt that agency market with technology and transparency. So it's a bit rambly, (laughs) but there you go. You've got the the checkered past all the way up to date. Okay. So how did you jump from HSBC to starting up an agency, which you didn't think was an agency? (laughs) So... HSBC was fantastic, but it's a huge organisation. And back sort of in 2007, I'd been there 10 years. I'd gone from the graduate scheme all the way up to sort of programme director level. And I was looking for something new. I needed a new challenge, something to challenge me uh, and keep me interested. Uh, and it was at exactly the same time that my, uh, yeah, my good university friend had graduated with his master's degree in advanced practice we had a chat over a beer or, or a glass of red in his kitchen one evening, uh, and he pitched me the idea. He basically said, look, advanced nurse practitioners, they've got this incredible skill set they can prescribe, uh, that they can do 80 90% of what a GP can do in certain areas within primary care. My, my course has graduated, and we've all been sent back to where we came from. So he'd gone back to the ambulance service. As an ECP, other members of his course had gone back to their various nursing roles and they just didn't have the opportunity to use their new skill set. So it was kind of born out of that conversation uh, and him identifying a gap in the market that didn't previously exist. We decided to jump in, have some conversations with service providers, starting in the out of hours space. And it just went from there. We, we spoke to an out of hours provider in Lincolnshire at the time so quite rural lots of gaps in the rotor and they were very pro amp and it went from there and it went crazy it grew like mad so so interesting we're having lots of conversations around so for those people that are listening that may be not in they're in obviously the field of healthcare but not in the field of primary care we're talking about how to embed new roles so at that moment in time your colleague saw a gap in the market about introducing a new role into primary care. You met with an out-of-hours provider and they were just, they were converted. How, or did you have to, or did you need to change the minds of providers that maybe didn't understand the role and the value of an AMP? Did all your clients get it? So no, they didn't all get it, but the early clients did. So yeah, we were very lucky, I think, to have uh, a service manager who w- was very pro 
ANP and uh, and she introduced our workforce, our temporary workforce into her services. Plug it, and it was to plug gaps. You know, these gaps were were there. That there, there, there was, you know, services were were running short of staff uh, so patient care was suffering so it was kind of a it wasn't replacing anyone it was just filling a gap and it worked really really well particularly with um, patient engagement that the, the feedback early days was that the patients were really really happy with the level of care they got and the engagement they got from the ANPs she took us with her when she moved and she moved roles and, and headed up a larger out of hours organization that actually had some walking centers uh, some front-end clinical streaming stuff going on in an A&E and again well received they were all very receptive and from there you know what it's like everybody knows everybody else and word of mouth starts and all of a sudden we've got people sort of you know banging the door down uh, on the telephone we really need your help in our service what can you do and like I say yeah it uh, it grew from that there were conversations with people around what an ANP can do, what that role looks like, maybe the differences between using a GP versus an ANP, et cetera. But in the main, people were aware of it and that had come from word of mouth. Okay. So moving forward, so as we are where we are today, would you say that Nightingale operates in quite a competitive market? So it sounds like, I hate to say it, but like in the old days, when I say like the old days, I mean like before COVID. <laughs> in the olden days, where there were maybe lots of agencies providing locum support, interim support, agency staff, and that worked really well. But it feels like there's a little bit of a shift. And there are lots of agencies, that, well, they're not, but they say they're not agencies, but lots of organizations providing workforce into the healthcare system it's like who do you go to how do you all differentiate yourself i think that's a fair assessment of what's happening at the moment we know we all know that there are still lots of agencies out there uh, and we all know that they serve a purpose you know they fill rotor gaps with staff that's what they do and there are also quite a few marketplaces for want of a better word or platforms we, we operate two models with Nightingale, one is the, the what you'd expect, a traditional sort of marketplace where we connect the, the staff to shifts. But the other is a sort of a staff bank model where we enable lots of different practices or, or services within the same uh, PCN or the same group to share staff. And we've started to introduce We've started to introduce their direct locums, their sessional staff, and even some of their substantive staff. So there's there's quite a bit of that going on. So it is crowded. Uh, how would you differentiate yourself? One of the things we try to do is understand exactly what the pain point is and, uh, and, and how we can help. And then I think where we are different in the main is we don't offer just an off-the-shelf solution. We can offer quite a customized and configurable version of the platform. So every piece of the platform can be configured uh, and customized to suit. Uh, and that's largely thanks to our partners at Tripad. Uh, and that extends into other other bits of their tech. So things like video interviewing, for example, onboarding, applicant tracking systems, all that kind of stuff is is ready to integrate and is available to use if 
it's going to be interesting to uh, to the services. And, and for some, it will be. And for others, it won't. And that's cool. We don't mind. Yeah. Let's just try and solve a problem as opposed to give you something off the shelf and hope it works. So can you talk to me more about Tripad and why you have gone down? So would you class yourself, you're a serial entrepreneur, you've bought, you've sold, you've spoke, you've got a joint venture. Why a joint venture versus what you have done in the past? It's a really good question. Um, tech is expensive. <laughs> is, you know, that is number one. Anyone out there who might be listening and thinking, hey, I might get into tech and go and build something. Wow. Huge amount of cost involved, which becomes apparent really early. But actually, the the Tripad team, they, they're based here in Sheffield, which is where I'm based. I'm actually in their office at the moment. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we share the same space. And just the way they operate, their the kind of their values uh, and their vision of, of using tech for good really kind of fits with what we're trying to do. And they, they, they've got a, a huge client base. There's ridiculous numbers. There's 21 million people using their tech in 15 countries across the world, you know, and, and they deal with some of the, the biggest organizations out there, um, the likes of the BBC, Tesco, uh, et cetera. So it was almost a no-brainer. You know, we, we, we had a conversation, uh, so it was myself uh, and there was Dean and Dan, who are the co-founders at Tripad. We sat down and we had a chat about my background, what they were doing and what they were looking to do. And everything just fit perfectly. So it was an absolute no-brainer. How did you find each other? Uh, it's uh, it's bizarre, LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> Even though, even though we're in Sheffield, which is a appreciated to city, but actually it's a big village. Everybody knows everybody else. Um, but I was on LinkedIn and I saw a, a former colleague of mine had uh, posted something and it linked through to Tripad. And I had a look and I thought, wow, how cool is this? Uh, really interesting, really good tech. And they're here in Sheffield. So yeah. I dropped Dean a line and his view on life is brilliant. He's totally laid back and his, his view is to always say yes. Okay. Uh, so, so <laughs> yeah. I dropped him. Uh, it's brilliant. I, I dropped him a line and said, do you, fancy, do you fancy a chat? Yeah, sure. Come in. Let's have a coffee. And it started there. Okay. And how long did it take for you to go from let's have a coffee to you've signed a joint venture agreement? It was quite quick. To be honest, yeah, the, the sort of initial coffee chat, a couple of follow-ups, a look at the tech, and then I started to, I guess I started to do some uh, consultancy around uh, the flexible workforce platform that they were building and that they designed. I would say, for it to put a timescale on it, probably three to six months okay. before, the, you know, before signing on the dotted line. But actually, we, we started collaborating almost immediately. Okay. And on your website, you've got, you're not just another agency. Yeah, I think, I think hopefully we've got, we're not an agency, full stop. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The word agency, why do you, do you think there is a negative connotation with the word agency? And if there, if so, where do you think that comes from? Personally, I do think there is. I don't necessarily agree with that. But I do think the word agency has negative connotations attached. And in my experience, I'd say that's normally born out of uh, bad experiences 
by using agency staff and you know this is kind of a, a rabbit hole uh, or a can of worms that we could <laughs> that, that we could open up or go down into but often it's it's a few bad apples as always with anything in any sector that can that can cause reputational damage uh, and i think that's what's happened one of the most common things i hear is we've been sent, sent some agency staff and they were absolutely terrible and then you kind of you say, okay, talk to me about that. Why? And it turns out what's happened is some perfectly good healthcare staff, whether they're doctors, nurses, HCAs, whatever, have been sent somewhere that's totally inappropriate for their skill set through no fault of their own. And then all of a sudden, that locum is kind of viewed in a bad light, which is really unfair. And because they've come via an agency, the negative connotations with agency start. And the minute you pick a phone up and say, uh, can I talk to you about flexible staffing or, or locum workforce? Almost every single time, the very first question that comes back down the phone is, are you an agency? So as soon as you say no, they go, oh, let's have a chat. And you say, yeah. They're like, oh, it's time. I've got to go. <laughs> I, wish, I wish it was that easy. Um like I said to you before, a little earlier on, it's it's not necessarily about, you don't even need to use the word agency, even if you are one. You know, the real question is, do you have rotor gaps that we can help you fill with suitable staff? That, that's the question, regardless of whether you're an agency, a platform, or, or however else you want to, to, to dress yourself up. I think that's the real question, first and foremost. And as I say, from the in conversations, we started to get uh, a little deeper into specific issues for specific uh, organisations around how they uh, match capacity to demand with their workforce. As I said, that might not be agency workforce, it might be direct locums, but you've got, you know, you've potentially got a dozen practice managers, each with a little black book. There's some overlap and there's not. People can be quite protective of, of their little black book or not. Uh, and it all just depends on who you're talking to and I guess the pressures and the pain points that they're facing at any given time. So we try and just open all of that up, understand it, and then put a solution in place that works for everybody. So I love that. Have you got any kind of gaps in your rotor that you need to be filled? How else, how do you win business? So before you get to that, how do you get to the key decision maker? That's a tough one. It's always a tough one. Um, it, it's kind of, I think a, a big part of this is understanding how the services work and who does what. Because a lot of the time, that's where, that's where you can spend a lot of time trying to make sure you get to the right person and the decision maker. So networking is key. Collaboration is key. Uh, and just offering advice and consultancy around what we've seen in the past so we'll take case studies and examples of where we've done something really well with an organization and uh, and say to another organization do you want to hear about what we did over here and how we saved them a whole load of time or a whole load of money or or actually how we've expanded their workforce um, and made their sort of patient experience a lot better and people are really receptive to those conversations because there's no there's there's no motive it's not have a chat and then i'm going to try and pitch you it's actually let's just have a chat and if it's interesting let's have another chat and see if we can do something but really but there is a motive 
Yeah, there's, there's uh, from just the, the definition of business development, you know, you're making that call because you want uh, to win this. You want to see if that client would be a good, a potential client would be a good fit. Exactly. What we don't do and what we don't like is the constant bashing of potential clients. If people want to have a chat, great. If they want to hear about what we've done with another organization, fantastic. If they're not interested or they've they've got no issues and everything's all good, that is great as well. Yeah. You know, we, it's it's brilliant. So it is in in that sense, there's no motive, and we and we say that a lot to everybody we speak to. You know, if you, if you want to chat, cool. If it's not for you or, or you're not interested, that's okay too. But do you want to hear about what we've done or tell us about what you're doing? And can we share that? Yeah. Because that that's the point, I think. The, 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 the driver behind this business is how do we how do we use tech for good and help primary care services, urgent care services improve and manage their workforce and their capacity and demand? How do we do that? And then we can worry about uh, we can worry about the monetization of that afterwards. Interesting. I know it's radical, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do. And we can worry about the money afterwards, but money is really important. Sustainability mm-hmm. for your clients or for organizations is really, really important. So at what point do you start talking money? Because for myself personally, being inside a primary care network, you've got your budget. There are gaps that need to be filled and you've got your budget, you've got your contract specifications, but it is how much is this going to cost? What is sustainability? How are we going to measure the impact? How much is it going to cost? Is it worth it? Can I go somewhere else? But I know that that network across the road have done that. They've had one bad experience. Let's not go with that company. So for you guys, we can worry about, you can, you're saying you can worry about the money down the line, but for your clients, of course, patient care is that's why they do their job. But the business structure around how they operate is a real driving force. So at what point do you start talking about money? Early, early on. Absolutely. So everything you said there is is absolutely bang on. And I'm coming at uh, so I'm coming at that from my point of view uh, and from our business point of view. What I mean is let's have that conversation first and let's understand what it looks like. So the, the, the sort of the easiest example there is we're talking to a service provider who uses a lot of agency staff and a lot of locums. So immediately there's savings on the table because we know that we can deliver the same staff for less and we've got the benefit of tech. So immediately there's a cost saving, which is all good. If we're having a conversation around um, the tech and how best to deploy staff uh, that they already know and how they can share those staff, then yeah, it absolutely. It, it's a conversation around what's the budget? Where's the value? You know, what does all of that look like? And it has to work. So that's what we, you know, we have a grown up conversation around what does this need to look like for you? And we're really happy to say, actually, that doesn't work for us. We don't think we can provide a service at the level you need if you can only pay X, it might, it might need to be X plus, but it's a grown up conversation. Do your clients always know what they need? 
no <laughs> no 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 not not at all uh some, some do they always know they always know their issues right so they always know it'd be good if this worked a little better or we could we could operate for less money here or we have technology that might enable us to do this so they, they, they've got an idea but it's only when we sit down and start talking about all of the various ways that can be done all of the options that it starts to become clear so i say to you we an early conversation we had was all about can we provide you locum staff instead of your agencies and it moved really quickly from that conversation to actually what you really want us to do is create a shared staff bank for 10 practices and have a full sort of you know full visibility of all of the requirement all of the availability all of the skills and where we can deploy them to to operate best and it, and you know how bizarre it's moved from do you need a locum to that conversation in the space of you know a week two weeks maybe tops can you share a case study that you're really proud of so where are you working where you've done that really well uh yeah so here in sheffield so here in sheffield we have been working with the guys at primary care sheffield uh, which is gp led organization provides support for all of the gp practices in the city and we've been we've been working with them really closely probably for the past sort of 6 to 12 months to identify what the workforce needs to to look like and all the things that i've said before about how we manage that and deploy it and capacity to demand etc and we've now got a pilot scheme running and it's operating really really well so what we've done is we've brought in a whole range of staffing groups so we're not just talking about locum doctors or, or practice nurses or ANPs we're bringing physios into the mix that are being deployed around the city uh, to, to, to meet sort of MSK demand uh, we're bringing clinical psychologists in yeah. pharmacists there's, there's there's all sorts of staff in the mix now that are able to be deployed kind of at will to match demand and it's working really really well and not just the deployment, the actual attraction and retention of those staff it is working phenomenally well. Okay. So, you know, that's that's just one sort of example of where uh, it's it's we've put a pilot in place and it's evolved and now it looks incredible. How client facing are you? Me personally? Yeah. Oh, loads. <laughs> I love chatting. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, I, I I love having it, the the bad thing about COVID is it's really difficult to get out and be face to face. Yeah, and that you know that's a given. But really, really happy to to chat over Zoom or, or hang out or, or even the phone. So I'll I'll make sure I keep in touch with uh, with the teams in our in our pilot sites on a weekly basis. Probably talk to them at least once maybe a couple of times just to just to make sure we know what's going on we understand everything you know where, where can we put a bit of additional help or support in place uh, and we also make sure we have a, a sort of a wider more formal catch-up every couple of weeks just to make sure everything's going along and how big is your team our team is so at the moment we have got two people who work on the business development side so it's kind of a business development and sort of client relationship management uh we've got 
three people who work in um, customer success. So they will deal with the locums and the onboarding uh, and all that side of things. We've got uh, a development team here, which is obviously that's tripad resource. So there's a team of, oh, it's around about 20 now developers in Sheffield. And we've got our help desk here as well. Uh, so all in all, there are 52 heads at the last count between Tripad and Nightingale. What is the vision for the next three years? Oh, good question. When we set out to do this, we, we wanted to make a difference and save people money uh, and use tech for good. And that stands. I think tech for good is probably, you know, those three words. So we want to, over the next three years, we want to roll out our tech into as many places as possible to solve the issues that that are currently being faced in in healthcare. And it's as simple as that. There's no, we've not attached any numbers to that. We've not attached any financials to that per se. It's just, let's get this technology out there because we're using it now in the private sector. So, you know, I mentioned the BBC, they run seven and a half thousand freelancers through this tech. And, and there are a number of other companies that, that I'm not allowed to mention at the moment <laughs> that also use the tech at similar numbers. So we sit here and say, well, let's get that into the NHS. That should be being used and available to the public sector as tech for good. We know it works. We know it's scalable. And actually, the, there's a really solid, sustainable business behind this technology that's generating uh, revenues and profits right now, which kind of goes back in a loop to that question about, you know, cash. Well, think about that second, because initially tech for good. What lessons have you learned from your first agency that you that really inform where you are now? Oh, it's another good question. Um, Agency world. Yeah, it's I'm good at asking world. questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not kidding. Um, agency world's dog eat dog. It's absolutely brutal. What you, well, certainly what I see or what I saw in, in, in agency world was uh, a very competitive, as I say, very dog eat dog environment. You have to stay ahead of the curve. You absolutely have to. Uh, and sustainability is key. I don't know if you recall when the rate caps hit back in what were we oh i can't even remember when that was but jeremy hunt and his rate caps you know they came in and the agency world was turned upside down overnight as was a a huge number of organizations trying to retain locum staff how do you stay ahead of that curve agencies couldn't but platforms could and it's because of the way the business model operates so the lesson i've taken from that the biggest lesson is make sure you're ahead of the curve and make sure your business model is sustainable come what may. Uh, and COVID is actually a brilliant example of something that can yeah. turn up and impact everybody. And you've just got to be able to cope with that and adapt. So you talk about making sure your business is sustainable. So as we move forward and we don't know what the future looks like to a degree, what is a potential risk to your business? Because we can all say we make need to make it sustainable, but you don't know until you don't know how sustainable something is until it's tested, mm-hmm. until it's something rocks it, and then you're like, oh, okay, you know, like okay, we 
we think we're good, but you don't know. So what are you, what, how do you protect yourself? How do you anticipate what could be a really big issue? What if the government say, do you know what? Tech is bad. Tech is bad. <laughs> <laughs> like we're going to do something else. Um, how do you prepare for that? Very often you don't. You know, that th- there are just some things that sneak up out of nowhere and bite and there's and there's not a huge amount you can do but adapt at the time uh, and then there's a whole load of other stuff where you can uh make sure you're well informed and i think that so that that's the key really being well informed so it's it's talking to people it's understanding what's happening what's happening in their business because what's happening in their business will affect my business and we need to be joined up so I, I never want to be in a position where we're providing what we think is a solution, but our end user sees as maybe just a cost drain. That'd be terrible. So I, I kind of, I like the flexibility in our model as it stands, which is, it all goes back to that trust and transparency that, that the model has to suit the service provider. It has to work. And if it doesn't work, then we need to find one that does. Okay. What, if anything, is stress is causing you stress in the business right now? Right now, or oh, I, I tell you, do you want to know? Do you want to know where it really is? Yeah, <laughs> uh, because I'm a techie at heart. I can't keep my hands off the tech, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get really involved and um, I do a lot of testing. So the development team will um, that they'll be working on new bits of functionality to roll out and they'll be working on on various bits and pieces. And I jump in and test it and try and break it, you know, really try and break it often uh, I, I can. So that causes me a lot of stress because the closer we get to a deadline, we're, we're going to roll something out and I'm still able to break stuff. I get really stressed and I have a team full of devs sort of shouting at me. So Scott, stop. We've already fixed it. Stop. We just need to deploy. <laughs> and what are you like when you get stressed? Um, now, right now, I'm much better than I used to be. <laughs> so, ten, what did you? Oh my like? god, it was terrible. Ten, ten years ago, right? I was. Yeah, if I got stressed, I was properly stressed. Would we need know? to keep out of your way? Uh, um, yeah, I never. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a shouter though. Because uh, I'm a firm, firm believer in looking after uh, your staff and your people. Mm. And, and, you know, yes, I was in HSBC for 10 years and I've seen, I've seen some terrible management. <laughs> I've seen some really good management. So I tend to lock myself in a dark room uh, <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I get stressed. <laughs> and I try, like, I, I try and work it out. I'll lock myself in a, in a quiet room. And I'll figure it out. I'll get a blank piece of paper. And for a tech company, that sounds really bad, right? But uh, a whiteboard or, or a blank bit of paper just helps me figure it out. Just seeing it in front of me, I, I'm generally then quite relaxed. So now, yeah, I'm much more pragmatic. I, I can look at everything from all angles. Uh, I can imagine users using it. I can imagine locums using it. And I can imagine the, the thought process of the development team when they're building it. And I just try and glue all those things together with, with a little arm round people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, when we were allowed to do that, now it's a virtual arm, of course. I'd like to ask you some advice. Oh, okay. So we've talked about some people viewing the word agency as negative, and you've talked about managers. You've seen some bad, ma- you know, we've all experienced, you know, 
less than optimal roles, which tend to give can give the word manager in my day-to-day life. I'm like, hi, Tara, I'm a manager, like, (laughs) or like even worse, (coughs) a consultant. Um, (laughs) I'm just like, just call me Tara. I'm just Tara and I'm here to help. What makes a good manager when you're not part, when you're not an employee of that organization, when you're an interim, you're a consultant, when you're going in, to help and then you leave you there's a loyalty but not a hundred percent because you're not there all the time it's such a good question because i've done a bit of that <laughs> consultancy uh, <laughs> as well you, you i mean you know you know this tara you you've been doing this uh a while right so you you've got to become part of the team nobody likes a consultant who, who parachutes in tells everyone what to do and leaves that's just not how workplaces operate anymore it's collaboration it's being part of a a team and I'm a big fan of like flat structure I I totally get that there's a hierarchy I get that but actually when you're in a room there shouldn't be it should be completely flat everybody should be able to contribute to whatever issue or, or, or development piece of work is being spoken about you know, with an equal voice and an equal say. And do you know what? It's okay. Some people will have brilliant ideas. Some people will have terrible ideas and it's all good. I've come up with some terrible ideas in these kinds of meetings, but that's okay. You'd rather have that than have silence. So I, I do. I think H- hang just- on a minute. Is it okay if you're the consultant and you come up with terrible ideas? I don't see why not. Well, define terrible, I guess. So, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, what, what, you know don't, don't, don't go in with some sort of real <laughs> radical stuff. <you> know. <laughs> I'm I trying to think. You know, I know what put, you mean. I know what you mean because that, ter- that terrible idea may spark a good idea. But yeah. the, from the people, which is good, but for the people sitting on the other side of the table that feel like they're, spend- they're spending money and you're coming up with these ideas and they may be thinking – no <laughs> that's and that's and that's the problem with consultants <laughs> <laughs> it's well you you said it you just said it then though it's it's about sparking good ideas yeah and making people feel comfortable to say something stupid right i, I you know I, again years ago I, I might have been a bit more conscious uh about stuff like that now i i almost i'm like you know, i don't care if i look stupid it's about giving people confidence to say stuff and more often than not, it will be good stuff. And if something a bit wacky or a bit crazy comes out along the way, that's okay. Pro- probably best if you limit them as a consultant, admittedly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think the, the, the first bit of that is giving everybody else confidence yeah. to get involved. That has to be the first bit. And if you have to make yourself look a bit daft to do that, that's cool. I do it with my kids all the time. <laughs> it takes it does take tremendous confidence and resilience I really like that you said the consultant or a manager is there to give other people confidence and it is there to help people come to us because and when I say us I mean you and me and any and any other agency ever agency consultant whatever you want to call us as a group they come to us because they know that we've got expertise and they know that other people are using us. So there's a bit of intrigue, like what are they, how did you help them? What did they do? They come to you for what are you doing over there? But there's also something around, 
they want to know what you've got. And there is a trust in that because sometimes they're reluctant. Some people just want the consultant and they love it and they get it. Some, if they're using somebody for the first time, there is a, sometimes you have to break down a wall. Mm-hmm. So you have to have tremendous confidence in how you frame things because a wacky idea is different from a terrible idea. So you can say, I'm going to say something that may make you feel a bit like, I'm not quite sure, but hopefully it will spark something versus this might be a terrible idea because you've planted the <laughs> word terrible <laughs> in there. And I think it, it can turn people off. So I think it, it is really important and it cu- comes up every day and people, how do you get, how do you become a consultant? And the word manager is really, you know, love them or hate them. I know lots of people that hate them. Yeah, um, well, that's that's the problem with with managers. Just that word, it, it's another word that's got negative connotations, right? You, you have employees for a reason. You surround yourself with good people, or you should. So trust them, empower them to do their job. Don't mm. don't micromanage them. You know that's that's the worst thing you could do. So with all all of my teams, they're hired because they're going to be better than me at the job they've been hired to do. I don't want to do it for them. I want to help them do it. So, you know, my my instructions are generally the door's always open. In fact, I sit with the team. I don't sit in a different office. I sit with the team and it's like, just shout. If you need something, shout up. I thought you were going to say the door's always open. Like, there it is. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's harsh. (laughs) You've gone full Alan Sugar. Oh, it's lovely, lovely talking to you. If people want to find out more about Nightingale, where can they go? Oh, so they can visit uh, our website, uh, which is nightingaleapp.co.uk. Uh, and there's a whole host of info on there, uh, including links to our social media pages. And they can also give me a call if they'd like to, because I love to talk to people. Uh, so again, my door's open. My mobile phone is always switched on. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. No worries. Pleasure. so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram at thc primary care and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.